Our scripture for today is Genesis 12, verse 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It is good to be together. My name is Tim. I get a pastor here. And we're going through the book of Genesis for many of you, um, you've been here since chapter 1, verse 1, um, but we do have little booklets that are called scripture journals that maybe you haven't picked one up yet, but it is basically just the book of Genesis only, and every other page is blank, and man, whatever your view of the Bible is, um, you know, some think like there's no way I could ever write in my Bible, you know, I'm, I'm keeping it for whatever, um, man, you could write that up, underline it, write things, because I just find uh, sometimes the Lord is sharing very specific things with you, and it's good to record it, because um, if you're like me, it's very easy to forget and be like, oh yeah, there was something really significant that the Lord said, and I wish I remembered it, and so that's a it's a good way to remember. Um, so we are at chapter 12 of Genesis, and I have no idea how long we're going to be in the book of Genesis. It could easily be in the 70, 80 week territory, and I'm in no hurry. I, I hope none of us are in any hurry because um, it's just, to me, it feels like a crime to go too fast because of what the Lord could do um, to transform us along the way. Um, Moses, quite likely, writing the book of Genesis is the most educated human being alive at that time. Um, he is co-authoring this book. He is in collaboration with the one who made him. They are co-laboring together in the writing of the, of the book. It's written for Moses. It's written for the people that Moses is leading, and it's written for all people. That's the power of of the Word of God, the beauty of the Word of God, it truly is written to a time and to a place for all time and all place. Uh, the book is used to, to inform people. It is a history book. It is the, the history book for that time, and it's a book of transformation. It's, if, it's, if it's only in the category of history for us, it is not in the right category. It is a book of history and a book to transform us. The way it's going to be used to the original recipients is it is written to people who have just come out of Egypt. They have been slaves for, for generations. But for them, for their lifetime, 
they have been owned by the wrong people. They have been taught the wrong things. They were a people who were not who they were supposed to be. They were a people that were not where they were supposed to be. Sin had kept them at bay. And it's okay to find your life in this. It's not selfish for you to be like, kind of sounds like my life. Yes, <laughs> go there. And stay, stay there and go there. So now they have the opportunity to leave their past behind them and to chart a new future. They are freshly out of Egypt, and now God is writing this book to get Egypt out of them. They have more Egypt in them. It's just, it's just the air they grew up breathing. It's the, what they heard, heard, it's the songs that are just inside of them that they just have heard their whole lives. And now the book is written to get Egypt out of them, and he's writing it for all people to get every version of Egypt out of all people. To realign us to our real home. To give us our true value as people. To give us our true dignity. To give us a vision for our life that is actually a real vision for our lives to give us a real purpose. And it's for not just for us to have good self-esteem, which he cares about our self-esteem, but it's so that we can actually go on mission. So he's preparing these people because he's getting ready to call them to be nation builders. He's going to use the book of Genesis to get Egypt out of them and to prepare them with their eyes on God to form a new nation with God as the head of their nation, a holy nation, a light on a hill, a blessing to all people, and equally preparing us who with faith in Jesus have been changed to be citizens of heaven, we are taught, to build a nation inside of whatever nations we find ourselves living in. We all have dual citizenship when our citizenship is in heaven. So the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the first 11 chapters have been like this, this like of breadth. I mean, we go from create the power of creation to all the way to the judgment of God on an entire people in a flood to then God's rescue of creation through the ark. Like all of this has happened in 11 chapters. And now Genesis makes this like massive turn. And for the next 11 chapters, we focus on one guy. Now, other people too, but the, the narrative that, that is being weaved for our change is really through one guy and what God does in that one guy, Abram. Eventually, his name's going to change to Abraham. We'll know him as both. And the purpose, though, of Genesis in this change, the purpose hasn't changed. The audience hasn't changed, but now we're, we're taken. It, it's kind of like there's all these speed bumps along the way because we've been like going fast. And now it's like, okay, we are slowing way down here. 11 chapters, one guy. And man, my, uh, my goal, my plan, I think the prayers of many of us in the church is spending time in these next 11 chapters 
would in in his life would it mark our lives like like would we truly kind of get to where abram becomes a close friend i know that seems weird for a guy that you've never met but i think like would we meet him in in this and meet him in a way that it actually affects our lives that his life his substantial failures like we're going to see a guy who when he fails it is dramatic like it is and that, i'm not trying to make light of his failures but they're just like oh gosh if god can use a guy like this <laughs> i think we all have hope because he sins big um so his life his substantial failures his victories and his God, would that intersect with our lives, intersect with our substantial failures, intersect with our victories, intersect with our God? Um, so I want to just pray into that, if that's okay, before we really get into these next nine verses. Lord, we, uh, we look to you together, and I do commission <laughs> these next 11 chapters over the next many weeks that would they change us none of us woke up coming here saying hey i just want to put on a happy face play at church go home and i'll feel so good um, that can happen but we want a deeper change we want to actually have you meet with us where we are changed where the room is changed. And as we step into your story with Abraham, would it form our story with you, our story together, the story that you're writing even today in our midst with these next nine verses, even of chapter 12, be ones that you're going to use in ways that maybe we're not even expecting right now. Maybe we're here for somebody else, and maybe, maybe you're letting us know, no, you're here because of you and because of what I want to do with you even this morning, right now. Would you form us, Lord? We don't demand it, but if you're wanting to do that, we don't want to turn our back from the power of what you have in pursuing us. So would you form us? Would you heal us? Would you give us new courage? Would you give us new thoughts? Would you give us new feelings? for the new works that you're planning to do. Jesus, we pray, looking to you. Amen. So verse 1 of chapter 12 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from, from your country and your kindred. Um, so the Hebrew, actually, I don't know why a lot of English translations kind of um, like make this just a little bit cleaner, but, um, but the Hebrew actually says, Go from your country and from your kindred, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. End of the voice of the Lord. Abram 
is uh, he's in a broken place. I don't think we're reading too much into his life to think he's broken, he's confused, he's maybe in an unsure place, feels like the ground underneath him is shaky. He's not focusing on building a skyscraper like those at the Tower of Babel who were like killing it and wanted to like build this great structure to get to God. Abram's been focusing on grieving the death of his brother. We know that he's taking care of his brother's family. Lot is now where Abram is. So he's focusing on the grieving, grieving the death of his brother. His father has died recently, grieving the death of his father. I think the death of so many dreams about where he's lived his whole life. I think the death of the dream of even having kids now that his wife is postmenopausal, she was never able to conceive a child and is absolutely no longer able to conceive a child. It would truly be impossible. We also know that Abram is likely, so, so there's that way of looking at Abram. And then there's also a way to think that Abram also is probably pretty wealthy. He has a vast amount of, which seems to be employees that are with him because he has a, a large amount of livestock. He has a big livestock operation with many employees. And so I think there's this way that is accurate to see Abram as a homeless, rootless, like all of his roots have kind of been cut and pulled out. Um, his life is far from settled. And I think there's another way to look at his life where he could be very self-sufficient. He could maybe say, well, I know there's this part of my life, but look how I'm doing. <laughs> my bank account is actually doing pretty well. I've got all these employees. I've got all this livestock. Maybe he could say like, hey, look what I've overcome on my own, potentially. We don't know. We don't know all those details. What we do know is that there is this sudden, unexpected voice at this time. It, it doesn't seem like the Lord is visible right now. He's going to be later in this passage. But right now, what we know is that Abram hears the voice of the Lord. What Abram is told is, leave your country. Go from your country. Leave your family. Leave your home. Because I've given you a promise. Leave, leave, leave. Here's a promise. The promise is new land, a new nation, personal greatness. Very fascinating. Personal greatness and to be a means of blessing others. What we saw last week, which is fascinating, is the people who are building the Tower of Babel, which God had to come way down to their tower that they built that they were proud of and stop them because they were doing all this stuff away from God. But remember, it said they were wanting to make a great name for themselves. And here, even in, in God's promise to Abram, is like, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and you're going to have a great name. Giving you a really great name through this. Um, because God, through God, God is going to make his name great. 
God is the initiator, the one who will carry these things about. You know, looking closely at those first few verses, he's not like, hey, I'm going to do these things only if you do this, 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 and this. If you're able to come through here, if you can grow here, if you just say it just the right way, that'll draw people. You know, none of that. He's like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And he stops. And what I love is that God offers Abram life-changing faith. Doesn't tell him one detail of how he's going to do it. Doesn't even tell him where he's going to take him. Hey, leave your home, leave this, leave this. To, you know, it's like if you're typing that in like Google Maps or something. It's like from, to. He'd have to leave it blank. All I know is I'm going from something to, hey, can I go somewhere that I don't know where I'm going? <laughs> Do I know how it's going to take to, like, he's just told to go from. The to is like TBD, <laughs> to be determined uh, by God. Um, God offers Abram life-changing faith. God tells him to go, but doesn't tell him yet where to go. What I love is Verse 3 ends. I, I even kind of like geeked out a little bit this week on just thinking about the difference between the period after verse 3 and the first letter of verse 4. And what, is, what happens in that pause? What happens when God communicates his thing and it's like the great salesman tactics I've heard, you know, it's like, just shut your mouth. <laughs> Ball's in their court. You got to know when to shut your mouth. And the Lord knows when to shut its mouth, right? When to shut his mouth. Um, at the end of verse 3, a whole world of promises have been offered to Abram. God does not promise him the easy life. In no way does God promise Abram that life's going to just be awesome every day. You're going to be Instagramming everything. You know, he's, he's like, might as well just shut down Instagram. <laughs> you might as well, you could keep be real maybe, you know, if like that's really, uh, um, that's, that's a new social media thing for those of you who it, it encourages you to be real. Um, and not just to capture the beautiful moments. Um, so he's promising him there will probably be many non-beautiful moments, but what he promises him is so much more. He promises life, real life, a real home, a real family, a real name. Abram's response, verse 4, Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. See, no, no two yet. You know, it's kind of like, that, that's still getting worked out. But man, verse four, I mean, there are chapters of the Bible written about this moment. Chapters in the book of Romans written about this moment. I love that God was asked, that what God was asking Abram would change every aspect of his life. Not one part of his life is going to be untouched in this calling of faith. 
And Abram didn't ask one follow-up question as we would do today. You know, well, before I make such an important life-changing decision, I need to know as much of, as possible. It's all in my court, you know. I need to let me explore, you know. Well, uh, tell me more about what your thoughts are about that. You know, like, we just, we feel like if we have more information, it will lead us to the best decision. And I'm not, I'm not advocating like we turn our brains off, you know, and make all these crazy decisions. But what I love about Abram is he didn't have a long column of, of pros and cons, you know, which we might do today. Hey, we're, let's, let's write down all the pros of doing this. Now, what would be all the cons? And let's see which one's longer. It seems what Abram, what Abram did here is he recognized that the Lord... God himself was speaking to him. You know, I mean, that's how that first section is like, the, he heard the Lord say this. And, you know, sometimes you might hear something and be like, hey, we had a, a kid recently um, in, uh, in, in the well that it seemed like God was actually like really um, supernaturally telling him things. And he's like, he was like, yeah, I'm, I kind of like when I pray, I hear these things. And I don't know what they mean. And we were like, oh my gosh, like that's everything God would say to them if they wanted them to give their lives to God, you know? But he was just kind of like, I don't know where these thoughts are coming from, you know? And we were like, we do, you know? And we're able to share that. And it was exciting, right? And that's, that is, we do need that. I mean, one of 10,000 reasons why we need to walk together um, is there are moments like that in our lives. This wasn't a moment like that for Abram. He knew who was speaking to him. He did not know the details of how the promise was going to work out. And it didn't matter to Abraham to know the details of how it worked out. Because it was like the Lord showed up and said, I'm going to do all of this. Uh, you know, and then he, he just waited. And I think Abraham was like, he could have focused on all of that and been like, okay, let me explore every detail of what I've just heard. But he just looked at the one who had just spoken. And I think what moved him was the one, not what he was told, but the one who told him. It was actually that because the Lord had said something to him, he's like, you know, it'd be like the Lord starts speaking and Abram's able to just be like, yep, yes. It's like, well, I didn't fit. Yes. Whatever you're saying, it's a yes. Abram is going to have significant failure. He really is. Yet Abram has significant faith. Not faith in agreeing that God says, you know, like not what the faith is, is in the one who is speaking. He's, he's, he's not just believing what God says. He's believing God. God's saying, I'm going to do this in your life. I'm going to do this through your life. And Abram's like, okay. All I need to do is just head this way. Yeah, just head this way. Okay. J just start going. Yeah, okay. And what I love is that others join him. Lot is with him. Others are following him. And if he's like, where are we going? He's like, we're going this way. We're following the Lord. What's the destination? We're following the Lord. He is the destination. 
We don't need to know the destination because we know the one who is leading us. And another thing that's so fascinating in this is Abram is not this young buck just at the beginning of his career, getting ready to take on the world. Look at verse 4. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Verse 5, And Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still going toward the Negev. Remember, the first time the Lord communicated through a voice, now the Lord is there in person. Shows up. Once again, I think all of these in-person things in the book of Genesis have to be the second person of the Trinity. It wouldn't be the Father for various biblical reasons. It wouldn't be the Spirit for other things that have been communicated to us that the Son is the physical form of God that interacts with humans. And so this is a pre-incarnate, before Jesus became flesh, Jesus showing up even to Abram, and, and he is interacting with him. They've just been through this area known as Canaan. They're passing through the ancient city of Shechem. The Lord appears, and he, he says, I'm giving your offspring this land. So these are sons of Ham who are mighty men. The Canaanites are mighty, strong nation builders. They really are. And so Abram could look at the people and say, us against them? But also, it kind of feels like a joke. It could feel like a joke. And uh, Sarai will laugh about it later is he saying, I'm giving, not just like, oh, I'm giving all you, all y'all, I'm giving all these folks that land. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm giving your offspring this land. And so it's like, this land, my offspring? That dream died decades ago. It's not possible. It's not possible that you could do that is a way you could look at the story. And what I love is in the moment of the unknown, the moment of... At the moment that could be the most discouraging moment, what Abram does is he worships God. He builds an altar. This would be a good place to have a worship service. <laughs> right here. I've just been told my offspring will have this land. I've just been told this. I've been told some impossible things from the Lord who actually showed up in person to give me this promise of one sentence. And what he does is he worships. And he builds a public place of worship inviting all people, including himself, to worship this God 
who alone could do these things. Verse 8, he doesn't live there. He moves further into Canaan, and he stops between Bethel and Ai. And actually, there's been fairly recent archaeological work done on Bethel, and on that area, they were able to like verify based on pottery and writings and all sorts of stuff that they got down to the level of Bethel where when Abram pitched his tent, this is what the city would have been like that he observed as he was passing through the land that God was promising to give him. And the, you know, they didn't have air force and stuff like that at the time, so one of the most powerful things they had were walls. Build a big enough wall, it will slow down the enemy, and we'll be able to shoot them with arrows and all sorts of stuff while they're trying to knock our wall. Because you've got to get close enough to knock it down so that will be close enough for us to defeat you. And so the city walls were the way to show the might of a city. When they got down to the, the level of Abram's Bethel, the walls were 11 and a half feet thick. Think of that, 11 and a half feet thick. You can't push that thing over, right? And what happens when Abram gets there? He's outside the city. It says he's between two cities. He's looking at the magnitude of that city. He builds another altar. Guys, let's have another worship service. Let's keep looking to the one who is prom- when, when I am most confronted with the reality that I am not going to be able to pull this off, I am most provoked to worship the one that is promising me things that he has to do. So I could scurry around and be like, oh my gosh, these people are going to think I'm a failure. How am I going to, what type of rhetoric can I use to convince these people that we're going to go for it, you know, or whatever. It's like, like instead, he's like, let's worship. I've got an altar here. When confronted with God-sized needs and a God-sized vision, he turns to God in worship. He has a yes on the table. I know that's a yes. Let's worship. I know that's a yes. Let's worship. And then it, it ends by saying he goes on towards the Negev. The Negev, that region is the furthest south in Israel. And what's also fascinating is it's a desert. It is barren. Like there are no, they talk in the, like later, that's where like Jacob builds a well. Uh, well, that was for, um, Abraham builds a well there um, because it's like, how can you even survive here? And I was like, oh, we can actually get down to some water, so that'll keep us alive. But what's crazy is his wife is barren and he's going to a land that's known for just being totally barren. And he's believing God more than his circumstances. He's believing the God of his circumstances. And man, I mean, how often can we be the place that says, like, Jesus, I don't know how all this is going to happen. You promise me things that don't even seem possible. All I see is barrenness, enemies, a desert, You promise me descendants, a name, friends, a forever blessing. I'll worship you here. This is, I'm worshiping you here. And man, I just want to be clear so that none of us are half half clear, confused, 
any of that stuff, is the Lord spoke to Abram. And the Lord has spoken to us just as clearly. The Lord has told you to leave your country of origin. To leave even your family behind. Now with the hope that they'll follow you, but follow you in leaving. Like I've shared the gospel with people here and it's like, I'm not going to believe that. And you're like, why not? That's not what my grandfather told me. And I respect my grandfather, so I'm going to just... He's not here anymore. He couldn't respond to that. So I'm just going to follow my grandfather. I'm not following the Bible. And I think this is part of God saying, like, leave, leave your family behind. That's respectful when you, fo- when you follow your father with the hope that maybe your father would follow you and following the father, his father. Leave your family behind. Leave your father's house. Go to a place that he will show you He wants to bless you. He wants to give you a great name. Jesus. It's like, I I love TJ, but TJ following Jesus, that's a great name, and that makes TJ a great name because they're doing great things together. And he's wanting to give us a great name as we are connected to the great one. And that'll be a blessing to others. And man, my prayer for us is would our yes be on the table? That when it's like, hey, God is sharing, like we're in a community group, and it's like, hey, God's saying this to us. It's like, it's a yes. What's he telling me? Now, we might be like, oh gosh, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take a lot for that yes to become real in my life. That's how he designed a church to function. Would we believe Jesus like Abram believed God? Not because we have what it takes, but because we believe He can do what he wants to do in us. In the face of impossible odds, would we worship? God works well in the face of the impossible. In the face of broken dreams, he gives us new dreams. Amen, brother. Yeah, thank you, brother. Yeah, and I love seeing that in your life. And we'll see what he keeps doing in all of our lives. Um, His yes is the most amazing life we can live. It really is. And he's given us communion to commune with him. Because just like Abram, he's not like, okay, come back in 10 years. I'll show you how well I did. He's like saying, okay, if I'm following you, what are we doing next hour? Where are we going tomorrow? Along the way. And communion, as we hear his word, seek for his word to apply itself in each of our individual stories that he knows because he knows us and loves us and is for us, that as he is working it out in our lives, we together come to him, commune with him, meet with him, let him do surgery on our souls, meet us wherever we're at. And this is worship. We worship him by coming close to him. We'll worship him even in song after that. Um, But if you have yet to put your trust in Jesus, trust him for what he promises to you, which is everlasting life. He takes your sin and gives you his righteous life lived in your place. You don't have to give the church money. You don't have to read the whole Bible. We had a guy who just became a covenant member who thought he had to read the whole Bible before he gave his life to Jesus because he thought he needed, like God was worth him knowing the whole thing before he would come to him. 
And it's like, no, come to him and he'll teach you the whole thing. And so uh, if you have not come to him, given your life to him, either do that right now or talk to somebody. But I would say, like, this doesn't mean anything to you. This is just wine, juice, and bread. Um, but giving your life to Jesus, this is communing with him. This is meeting with him in a very supernatural way. And uh, it, many people have likened it. It's not like heaven comes down, but it's like we go up into uh, a communion with him that is precious, um, deeply meaningful for us every, every week. And so, so let's, uh, let's spend some time just meeting with him, and then we'll come down the center aisle, take the elements, wine, juice, obey your conscience, bread, and uh, go back to your seats. Remain standing, and then we'll take it together as family. So let's commune with him.